mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that we have heard is a part of the Song of Moses found in Deuteronomy 32. The blessing of Moses in Deuteronomy 33 is regarded as an example of some of the oldest Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible, and Deuteronomy 32 is not far behind. The grammar and syntax is somewhat unusual, and the vocabulary is unusual too. It's a great text to look at if you want to confirm that there is a great deal more about the Hebrew language that you need to learn if you are going to really understand it. Our text is a part of the Song of Moses, and I was a bit puzzled about why these particular four verses were chosen out of the 52 verses of this chapter, especially since Moses himself says in the opening verses of Deuteronomy 32, may my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, the gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the earth. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Of course, that's the way that I hope that the servants of God will talk to me, that they will talk to me and those that I love about the gentle God who pours his goodness on his people and softly and quietly blesses them with what they need to grow. But the verses of our text are quite different. Beginning in verse 36, when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free, then he, that is God, will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering, let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. Two and a half verses out of this four-verse text are an extended threat. I sent a message to Dr. Burrison. I accept the preaching date, but this is a difficult text. He sent back a message, thanks for accepting and sorry about the text, but, and I will tell you the rest of his message a little bit later. I thought about what Moses was doing and the experiences that I had when I worked for LCMS World Mission before I retired. From time to time, we would be involved in 360-degree surveys, and some of you may have taken those as well. In our version, people above you in the hierarchy and people at the same level and a larger number of people who work for you and with you all take anonymous surveys about you and your work habits and the way that you deal with them. And you take surveys and inventories about yourself. Everything is normed nationally and in some cases internationally. And perhaps the best part of it is that a professional person helps you find your way through the results. If you have a chance, I would urge you to take, a, take part in this kind of exercise because a significant part of our lives 
deals with our concerns and doubts about ourselves, whether we will be able to cope and manage. And here you have an opportunity to learn in a non-threatening way what other people think. And since the, the exercise is descriptive rather than prescriptive, you learn what you can work on rather than what you have to do or else. A man who was working on the results with me said, I would suggest from all of this that you need to invest more in the success of your colleagues by being more aggressive when you disagree and more direct about why. What? My mother always used to tell me, if you can't find something good to say about someone, don't say anything. And I suppose that I have been strongly influenced by that. But as my wife says, everyone knows that the mother is responsible every time children mess up. I could see that I had to take responsibility for important work that needs to be done. His point was and is, if you see that another person is on the wrong track or even that his or her vision or plan is not quite big enough and could accomplish so much more if only a few changes were made, you are doing him or her no favor by keeping silent. But it is a part of your responsibility to say even the critical things that need to be done, that need to be said, that enable people to do the work that God has called them to do. It is important to invest in their success. And that is the task that Moses has seized here. Finally, the people of Israel stood on the border of the promised land, and Moses says to the Israelites, I would love to tell you about all the great things that are going to happen, the gentle rain falling and the bountiful crops and the prosperity just ahead and the promise that the next generation will have even greater prosperity than the present. You can hear that speech repeated any number of times in a variety of different forms in this presidential primary season but does it help? Moses' message is about the rock. Why the rock? When we talk about the rock, we are not talking about the stones that you find on the seashore or even in the plowed fields, especially in Israel, or even like the stone that David used on Goliath. The rock here is the mighty towering kind of rock the kind of rock that can have crevices that are large enough for a person to crawl inside and find protection. I suppose that after you have lived in a walled city with a grand permanent church and you are protected by a professional army, you can sing about a mighty fortress is our God but Moses was talking to the generation or two who succeeded the slaves who had escaped from Egypt, who had no experience of a fortress and had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In their experience, there was nothing more visually powerful, 
nothing more secure and unmovable than the rock. You see, even when you are speaking the word of God, you have to use the images that the listener can understand. And this text is about more than just the power and protection and God's exercise of his mighty power. For what makes this good news is this powerful God has compassion. He gave them, as he gives us, his love and care, love and care that none of us deserve. God knows that there are others out there who will claim to be substitute rocks, and it's entirely likely, as we have seen over and over again, that we will give them what they demand to fill our lives, the fat of the sacrifices and the wine of the drink offerings offered to the idols of long ago, or the surrendering of our personal standards sought by the masters of communication in our modern world. How easy it is to be drawn in in this modern and postmodern time into actions and places where we do not belong. But the final good news of our text is that our God is the God who can punish even to the point of death, but he is the God who makes alive. He can wound, but he can also heal. At the end of the day, our God's message is always a message of life and hope because there is forgiveness and compassion with him. In the context of this text, because God is emphasizing our accountability to him, the last words of our text come across as a statement of law. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. And this is surely a part of God's word that we need to hear. But you know, Jesus says almost the same words in John chapter 10, but with a one word difference that changes everything. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And that brings us back to Dr. Burrison. Dr. Burrison, sorry for the threatening text. Just think resurrection. Just think resurrection, the power of God displayed for us so that daily we might live in God's love and forgiveness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. The choir will sing. <laughs>